Rodney. Good good afternoon. Hi, I'm gonna acknowledge you this time. Hello, how are you? But it's fun when you don't acknowledge. But me. it is. But I want to specifically talk to you about the concept of love mm. right now. Mm. Uh, the, over the past little bit, I don't know, nine months, I've been meditating on the uh, the Sanskrit. I think it's Sanskrit phrase aham prema, which transcribes loosely into I am love. And I've been using it as a mantra and chanting it. And uh, it's really trying to transform my relationship with myself, like loving myself. And mm-hmm. it, it, it was weird to me thinking about the idea of loving myself. I'm like, of course I love myself, which was not necessarily true. But um, I just wanted to share that, you know, man, I just want to acknowledge you. Love you, bro. Love you too, man. I appreciate that because I have started this journey much later than you, but I'm on it now. And, um, yeah, love it's, it's, um, what I found is I think, you know, they say like, you can't love other people until you love yourself. I don't know that that's, I don't think it's fully true. Like I think you can love other people. I think what I have noticed is a different form, a different expression. And there's a lot more room for me to love other Welcome back to the More In Common Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Keith. And I'm the other one, Rodney. I was having a hard time figuring out my name right there. What up, man? (laughs) And it is a week after Thanksgiving, so I hope for all of you that you have found more peace with your family than not, and that the, the holiday was as positive as you can make it during COVID, where I know many of you might not be able to see family. So... Um, our, our best wishes go out to you, and I hope you're staying healthy and safe. Before we get into talking about this episode with Patrick, we want to talk about moreincommonpod.com. You see, it's this website on the internet, which you can go to to learn about all things that are more in common, which is the organization that Keith and I run, and we do all kinds of things. Get out there, check it out. Uh, we, we just had a, a, a really expensive web designer just re- do a redesign, <clears throat> Keith, and um, <laughs> we just we're really proud of it. We would love for you to take a look. So let's talk about Patrick. Let's talk about Pat in the conversation that we had. Patrick DeNicola. I mean, we talk about so much. Patrick's a, an old soul who focuses his energy and time on helping people sleep and the importance of it. So we talk about that. Talk about one of my favorite topics, legality versus morality. Talk about him hitting rock bottom, emotional intelligence, Eastern versus Western philosophies, this concept of the old models of life. Um, It's really, really spiritual conversation in a a real way. What would you take away from it? Man, I I, I open with man with all of these because it's, it's there's so much to take away. I think with Pat, it is his his journey, and he is kind of an enigma in in his understanding of the world and his turning turning of his back on that understanding mm-hmm. and getting into some real serious trouble, getting to rock bottom. When when you hear a twenty something talk about I hit rock bottom, you're like, no man, you didn't get there yet. And it's like, oh yeah, 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 you did. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> um, and and his just his learning from it, his his just 
his openness with sharing it and what he's gotten from it and how he's trying to help other people as a result now. It's just like, man, it's just it's powerful yeah. stuff. So that's it. Hey, I'm I'm not hey, gonna spoil hey, it anymore. Hey, just hey, get if in you it. Like and if you like this episode, like any other episode. Give it a like. Give us a comment if you really like what we're doing in anchoring humanity and compassionate conversation. And if you think you know somebody who would be interested, share it. Share it, share it, share it. Now, on to Pat. All right, we're going to take a little break here. I want to tell you about something pretty amazing that we stumbled upon. A little ways back, we interviewed this amazing dude, Kwame Bowen, and he shared with me after the episode that his mother is a poet. And what's awesome about that is that he has all of her writings and all her poems, but what he doesn't have is her reading them. That inspired Keith and I to then start recording videos for our daughters. And... As we started recording those videos, we started running into the challenges, the challenges of where are we going to send them to our daughters? How are we going to get them to them? Where are we going to save them? Is it going to be Google Drive? Is it going to be OneDrive? And then along came GiftPod. It's an audio memory that you can record and give as a private podcast. What they're going to do is edit, add music, and produce the audio that you provide them into a professional podcast that you can share with your family members for any purpose. We use it for our daughters in the future. All right, so check it out. In the write-up for this podcast, you're going to see a link to GiftPod. If you use promo code MIC10, you're going to get a discount. And uh, leave some amazing memories for your friends, family, loved ones, maybe for yourself. Why don't you time capsule this for yourself? I don't know. So check them out. Giveagiftpod.com MIC10 promo code. Sleep to me is at the forefront of every issue. We have chronic illness. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's at the forefront of every illness. You look at cancer, diabetes, heart disease, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, dementia, Parkinson's, all of them, they start with you not being able to sleep. Any chronic disease, any chronic illness starts with shitty sleep. When you start putting shit into your body, then you start feeling shittier as a person and then your thoughts start to become more shitty and then you start to see other people as more shitty. And so I think that that's really like sort of my vehicle for committing crime was that it wasn't necessarily I was treated badly, I treated myself badly. And so I was the person who taught myself those things. It wasn't necessarily my environment. Welcome back to the More in Common podcast. I am your co-host Keith with Rodney and our guest today, Pat DeNicola. Now, Pat's mission is to inspire others to challenge the old models of life, igniting our free thought, creativity, knowledge, and inner truth through the practice of holistic conscious living. His journey to holistic wellness living started under the guidance of his father, 
who through practices of nutrition, meditation, karate, tai chi, and knowledge of ancient history and philosophy helped him lay a foundation of self-realization. Though hidden underneath, this foundation grounded him once revealed and pushed him towards transformation. He has built a method to help others find their true selves and purpose in their lives, and we are thrilled to have him with us today. Welcome to the show, Pat, not Rob. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah. Well, listen, I've, I mean, we always do the, the, the free association at the beginning. I got some questions out of that, but I do want to ask my first question. Um, it's regarding your bio and it's something that Rodney and I talk about a lot. And I think about often you talk about the old models of life. How do you define or look at the old models of life? Well, so it's changed. It, it constantly does change. And for each culture, it's different. Um, but basically, it's the undiscussed uh, sort of beat of society. And that is, you know, for, for the Western world, it's survival of the fittest, um, this kind of me against you uh, way of thinking that we have in the Western world, that um, only the strong survive. And the strong only survive if they're fighting against other people. And, and then, you know, there's the Christian traditions, there's a religious influence on models of life. And, uh, and so it's changed past 150 years is different than it was two, 300 years ago uh, with the advent of this whole survival of the fittest evolution kind of thing. And, they keep us, they keep us in a box. They, and they teach us how to box things. So we always in conversating and connecting, there's always those unwritten rules of what not to talk about and what not to broach when having conversations with others. And I think that honestly, it's a disservice to all of us to have those rules and to not be okay talking about certain things. And it's really growing, you know, looking around in the world today, it's really growing to a, having a conversation with anyone now is really difficult. It really is, I think, more difficult now than it was maybe 10 or 20 years ago. And the intentions for how we got to where we're at were all good intentions, but it's, uh, Having conversations, I think, is something that we can do to break some of those models and realize that maybe we have this box and we rarely use this box, but this box keeps us from finding our passion or this box keeps us from aligning ourselves with others or this box keeps us from pursuing uh, those questions that we ha all have. We all have like, who are we? Why are we here? Where do we come from? What is life for? We all have these questions. And, and we're told the answers at age five. You hear, you know, depending on your upbringing, you're told the answers. You're here because God put you here. Or you're here because evolution. Or, and why are we here? Well, scientists will tell you it's just random luck. Just 
just happened to be here because of evolution. And then religious, religious ideology will tell you God put you here for a reason. So I want to, I want to jump into something you said. Um, There's a lot of good stuff here. The, the boxes, categories, I often, I like to, I think of the brain as kind of like a differential engine. Like that's kind of the mind, like, like the, the human brain is that one of its core functions is that separation of like, we kind of talked about this a little bit in the lead up. It's main thing is safety. Like it wants to make sure we're all safe. And that's where I think the categorization starts, but it does it super efficiently and super like so efficiently that we don't even realize it's doing. And I think that's why it permeates culture because it permeates every culture because it's a very human thing to do. Um, what you're <laughs> what you're talking about is so like you're talking about all of the all of the contracts that we have with our families and ourselves and civilization and our jobs and our religions and our relationship with science like whether or not we've made the agreement on purpose like like someone who's older who says, I want to go get baptized or it was made for us. They were baptized as a baby. Um, these are all agreements that we all live with. And there are, there are, I want to say consequence. Like I'm not, I feel like consequence has a negative connotation, but like there are results of all of these things. So, so you brought up Western. So like in, in you talk, you, you work on, you talk a little bit about Eastern stuff and some of the things you do. How would you juxtapose like a Western mindset right now to an Eastern? Um, an Eastern mindset is far more, uh, questioning in my eyes. Uh, they, the, the way that you're brought up and, and, you know, I'm, I wasn't brought up in that environment. I was brought up in a very unique environment. I grew up in the Western world, but like my bio says, my dad is Tai Chi master, practice shaman. I grew up in a bit of a Native Native American environment where we give back to Mother Nature and we do sun dances where people are dry fasting and fasting for weeks to pay reverence to great spirit. And so I didn't grow up in the Western culture fully. I grew up in it partially. And what I see in, in, in my, it, but not of it. Not, yeah, exa- exactly. In it, but not of it. And I fell into it, you know, when I was 12, 13 years old, and I understood a lot of things on how reality works that science is now proving, you know, quantum mechanics, quantum physics, all these things where reality is really not existent until someone sees it something watches it the observer effect uh freaking collapse probabilities yeah like uncertainty principle yeah uh, protons and electrons that are connected across great distances and all of that stuff and all you know all of it and the whole uh, entanglement yeah and take yeah quantum entanglement. we should just turn this into a, a physics, physics podcast <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so i knew all this stuff very very intuitively and i was taught a lot of these things and uh and how relationships work and what i call the uh the triangle paradigm of of communication where there's always a rescuer a uh victim and a and a persecutor 
So in all of oh, our the good old codependent triangle, the good old codependent triangle and all of our conversations really evolve into that. All of our interactions, unless we know to avoid it and how to avoid it and what not to do to go into that, all of our conversations. And so I knew this at 12, you know, thir 13 years old. And so going into high school, I rebelled. I was like, life mm. sucks. Uh, the, everyone is miserable. Suffering is everywhere. No matter if you have a million dollars or if you have $5. And so what the hell is the point? And so I just like went into... These were your thoughts at tw like going into... Going into years. high school. Yeah, these were my thoughts. Like, Damn, son. Yeah. And so... Maybe. I was, <laughs> yeah, that's a lot to deal with in a developing brain like that. <laughs> yeah, so, so yeah. I just like went off the rails and I didn't give a shit about anything. I didn't perform mm -hmm. in school. I, you know, did all sorts of different drugs, hung out with the wrong crowds, broke the law uh, because I had no no remorse for it because I saw the world as this illusion. And mm -hmm. uh, so when you... So growing up in the Eastern traditions or what I would say more rooted traditions, so it doesn't have to be Eastern because there's, of course, is the native culture and you can go into Central America and South America and find these practices. And, you find and them in Africa. Yeah, you find them in Africa, exactly. So you've, in the Aborigines in Australia. Mm -hmm. So That's right. it's, a, it's a different way of looking at the world. It's looking at the world in a mysterious way. Looking at the world as this thing that you're the the main current of these traditions is that you are a child, and to always look at the world through those those childlike eyes. Mm. And what we do in the Western world is we try to grow up as fast as possible, and we try to become adults as fast as possible. And it's uh, yeah, it, never get there. And yet never get there. Yeah, you have 30 and 40-year-olds that are 12-year-olds in big bodies, right? So yeah, we, we ultimately look at the world from that five-year-old agreement that you talk about, right? Those agreements that we're told, do I these things, this is how it works. Yeah. Other, you, oh, run, sorry, Keith, sorry, you, you run so fast, you can't catch your breath, and you just keep running yeah. because someone told you go that direction. Right. And yeah. it, I mean, how many people ask themselves, who am I? What am I here for? Mm -hmm. Like they ask it. Of course they ask it most of the time. And so what I do is I help people reach deeper le levels of sleep. And so most of the time, one of the, one of the biggest things that I help people do is when they're in that go, go, go mentality. So you're in school and you go to school, you know, so you're a kid and you're in school for seven, eight hours and you get done with school. And what do you do? You play video games, you play sports you do homework, mm -hmm. but you don't ever really ask yourself these questions, which is okay, you're a kid, so whatever. But then you grow and you take all of those same habits into adulthood. And mm -hmm. so you never think to ask these questions. You never learn to journal your thoughts. You end up or, with more responsibility. So you don't have the time or exactly, you think you don't have yeah. the time. And then it just becomes a rat race. It's yeah. just a rat race. And in the rat race, you're constantly doing things. And then when you're done doing things, you're looking to distract yourself, watch the game, hang out with the boys, go out with the girls, chase girls, chase boys. Uh, you know, and then if you're, if you're married, you have kids, you got kids to deal with. And so you're not, you're, you're not ever, you don't have that time for yourself. 
And I would say that that's the thing that the Eastern traditions have a lot more built into their cultural structures is just that, that time <clears throat> for themselves. Hey, you talk about um, two things like that, that alone, that comment where we, we observe very much these social circumstances where in Eastern traditions, they have, whether it's Muslim prayer sessions or whether it's um, yoga sessions in the park or in, in Japan, these community-based, you know, office um, uh, sessions out in the, in the square that really are intended to, it's like woven into the fabric that says, you know, take this time, breathe. You know, it, it, I mean, that's what prayer is at the end of the day. And we just say, eat lunch at your desk and, you know, have 20 minutes of recess, but then we got to get back and go sit in front of a teacher. And we built this, this motion of industrialization into our, into our system of development. And uh, you talk about survival of the fittest. It's one of those fascinating psychologies of what we like to do is, it, it's personifying something that doesn't have personification mm. principles like survival. The survival of the fittest is a, is a genetic circumstance. <laughs> it's, it's DNA saying this works because two people bred and it worked and it survived. It's not, you did more pushups than me. So you have the ability to survive more than I do. I, you may live longer, but you may not. And that's really not what survival of the fittest is ultimately about, right? But it turned um, into it because I think another core mm -hmm. of, of Western civilization is scarcity. And then I love this concept of rooted culture, rooted tradition, rooted yeah. practice. It's really about abundance. Like there is enough time. There is enough. There are enough resources. Everybody here can eat. Uh, we can divide and conquer these tasks, whereas in the scarcity, it's like I can divide and conquer and take you from yours so I can get more. And then survival of the fittest does become who is the strongest, who is the most cutthroat, who is the most willing to eat because that person's going to take all. And that I think that that comes down. That's real basic in much of Western, much of Western culture, because as you put it, native native cultures here in the West and the in Central America um, many, many, not all, because there are some. There are some Eastern cultures, and there are some Central American and South American that were definitely more feudalistic and, and yeah. co conquer were conquering and and doing some horrible things. Um, definitely, but it's but in the Aztec, trend six hundred years ago, were sacrificing people to the gods, right, and, mm -hmm. and ripping people brutal. open in a pyramid, you know, which. <laughs> so yeah so it, it doesn't mean that they all had it right you know that's it's, right. it's it's there can be misinformed uh ways to to be uh that way as well right um so how did you um so you you rebelled <clears throat> how did you find your way how did you find your way to it like it, there's this in your bio it's like oh my dad but it turns out that laid some foundations but it you you stopped building that house and you decided to go live in a trailer and you know go across the go across the country for a while yeah when i was 20 i mean i told people i was gonna live till i was 50 tops that was my mentality wow like i didn't you were just going hard i was just going hard 
I was just, you know, and you didn't see the benefit of life. Basically, it was just like, I'm here. So let's have fun. Basically, that was my mentality was like, yeah, fuck all. Excuse the language. I'm just going to do what gives me the payoff right now. It's a very short sighted way of living. And, um, and I ultimately paid for it. And I'm glad, you know, these shoes, I, two different shoes dropped to help bring me back. So uh, I hit rock bottom. I was 22, 21. And I was deep into the party scene and I was in sales and I started stealing from people and stealing credit cards and doing all this shit. And then I didn't pay my uh, insurance and then I got a speeding ticket and I didn't pay that. And then I got another speeding ticket and I ran from the cops. And, and so I had like this bound, I was going to be arrested. I was looking at time in jail. Um, and I went to my dad and I said, Hey, I need help. Can you bail me out? And he went to me, he went with me to, uh, to my hearing and I, I'm a gifted speaker. I'm a gifted soothsayer. I mean, that's why I was able to pull off everything that I did in life. And so I was able to get out of it. I kind of blamed it on my mom and divorce. And I was untruthful, uh, partly. Um, but I was able to bounce out of it. I had to pay all these fines. But it really shook me and was like, what, what are you doing? Hmm. And so I went back and lived with my dad. He gave me rules, said I had to get up at 8 a.m., meditate for an hour daily and no more going out. Uh, and so then I found fitness and started to really Real dive quick, into that. Before you keep going on the going to your dad for help. Yeah. Like it probably, I'm, I'm going to assume that it was a pretty helpless feeling as you're like, crap, like I'm going to be arrested. I, you got a bounty on you, I'm guessing, or you had like a, a warrant. I had a warrant. Yeah. I had a warrant, yeah. bench warrant out for my arrest. And well, I mean, fun. what did that feel like? Like what, what actually, cause um, were you in communication with your dad throughout this time in the party scene? Like what, what was the relationship? And then what it was pretty was touch the and go. chip that made you go, I got to go talk to, I got to go ask for help. Yeah, it was pretty touch and go. And it was just like, I didn't have rent. I didn't have the, to, I couldn't afford the $10,000 of fines that I had allotted up, which is, that's why they were going to arrest me. And, um, and the, and the running away from the cops thing and maybe that a little bit, maybe that, <laughs> a little bit. Oh yeah. They didn't bring it up in my hearing though. So I don't know or if they ever actually knew, it was, knew it was me, but it was definitely, I was speeding and I just like dipped and dipped and dipped and got away. Um, Oh, when you say running away, you mean driving? I mean, driving away. Yeah. Mm. Like I, I didn't get caught. Mm, yeah. You weren't on foot. Uh, yeah. Were. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was in high school. I was running from yeah. cops in high school. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, I mean, it was a huge ego, ego trip. I mean, I, I basically broke down and cried and just, how did I feel? I felt worthless. I mean, I mm. felt worth worth is more than less than zero I, I was negative i was i was a criminal i it when you realize that you're a criminal and you haven't had to pay for it exactly but you know that it's coming um yeah it's i mean 
But some people double down there, right? I oh, mean, yeah. Not everybody has that moment where they go ask. So what I'm trying to get to is you went and asked for help. Um, you were you were at a rock bottom. Arguably, it could have actually not arguably. It could have absolutely gotten worse. Like you could have ended up in prison mm-hmm. um, and worse. Right. Like so you th- there was a point where you you were able to step in and say, nah, like, all right. So you so you felt a. I don't know what was it like a shame there or like a this isn't me or what do you know what it was yeah it was uh it it was my first pull my first pull mm. it wasn't i can't take credit for it because it wasn't like me feeling some type of way and then what you know it, it wasn't that way it just it just kind of happened it it was just I think my dad confronted me Hmm. and then I broke down, but it was, yeah, it was this pull. It just, I knew I needed to solve these problems and I knew that my decisions in life and my perception of life is what caused it. And, um, yeah, it wasn't any, I can't really think of any like one aha moment except for when I broke down and I was just like, Because we were just talking. We were just having a conversation and he was giving me advice. And he only gives me advice whenever I ask for it. He never gives unwarranted advice, which is one of the the main tenets of what I try to practice in life is is only speaking when asked a question. And, And yeah, it was just through this conversation and he was, he had gotten some of the mail, some of the you know, bench warrant for my arrest. So mm. he had that. He told me of that. I didn't know about it. He told me of that. And when I heard that and just saw the look in his eyes and I felt something from my heart just like want to pull me, almost like rip me out of my body kind of thing. Like, yo, dude, you're, you, this isn't who you're meant to be. And, um, yeah, that's the best way I can describe it. No, I mean, that's that's super helpful. Like, I ask because it's a really important, like, that's the moment. Like, you changed your trajectory right there. Mm-hmm. And I, from my own experience, like, I've always expected those moments to feel grandiose, to feel like a climax in a story. And they don't. And they're typically, like depending on the set you you run with, it could be the angel and the demon, like the bet, you know, it's my angels talking to me or it's my conscience or it's energy or it's heart or however you describe it. It's really quiet. Mm -hmm. And if, and you can listen and you can go do the thing that you know, that you know, deep down inside that you should do, or you can, like I said earlier, you could double down and go hard or, and, it's like steven steven spielberg says that your your dreams don't smack you in the face and tell you hey i'm here this is what you have to chase they they come at you from behind and they sneak up on you and it's a matter of uh if you're paying attention and that paying attention is i think to your question rodney the hard thing for many people is letting go of the ego just just succumbing to the moment asking for help do you think the early early stages of life up until you decided that um quantum physics made everything um (laughs) unmanageable and life was shit um 
up until that, do you think that laid the groundwork for being able to feel that moment? Of course. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Yeah. When I, I mean, I was ignoring those feelings for 10 years, yeah. eight, 10 years. So, um, it, and for me, it wasn't, yeah. Like you, like you said, Rodney, it wasn't a super like knock me on my ass kind of feeling or like a gut punch. It wasn't, like I've had far more like stomach drop gut punch moments than even in that moment. That moment, again, maybe it's just because I knew that I could, that my purpose was grander and that I wasn't going to end up in prison, that I wasn't, that the worst that could happen wasn't going to happen. I don't know where that faith came from, probably from my childhood and from my experiences as a child and you know, learning how to dream walk and meditate at seven years old and things like that to where I've had, a, I had a lot of experience with those feelings at a very young age. And so when it hit me in that moment, I kind of knew what the feeling represented. And mm -hmm. I think that maybe that's why people can have that same experience and end up wanting to double down and just say, ride or die or whatever the mentality is. And and ignore it is because they've not felt it before or been made aware of what the feeling feels like. And so when they feel it, they're not sure what it, what it's for. You kind of go back to that zero sum mentality from an academic and education. And I think this is, you know, where Mr. Rogers was light years and continues to be light years ahead of everybody from a childhood education standpoint is you know, we don't spend time and a lot of it is a cycle. Um, our parents don't know a lot about their emotions. So how do they teach their kids how to they teach me understand know. their emotions? And so then those kids grow up thinking that emotions are either bad or they don't understand them. And just working through that cycle to say, hey, like this is being human. Like this is you want to talk about existence on earth, your existence on earth isn't for the social structures that have been imparted upon you. Your existence on earth is like, you're here. Like, what are you going to do with that? Because those tools and all of those things that your body does and tells you, we, I haven't known how to listen to. I mean, we were talking about it just before this call. Like, this is something that I'm, there are certain things like I'm, the connection between mind and body to understand what it is that's right for you, not doing what's right, because that's what everybody else says is the right thing to do. Um, Rodney preaches about it's, that all the time. It's, uh, well, you know, like um, we're seeing it right now, riots, right? We're seeing a lot of riots in the country um, and, and it's in the U.S., but rioting is not new in the world in mm -hmm. any way, shape or form. And I think MLK hits it from a psychological standpoint it's like it's the language of the unheard like you, you if you're not going to hear me and i don't have any safety i've got it's gonna it's gonna go somewhere oh yeah and it happens in one-on-one -on -one relationships and it's like it happens with every emotion like just it, they they out themselves if, if we don't take care of them so that's emotional intelligence is huge um well and it goes it goes yeah, even yeah. further it goes one step further where you know you have people who are rioting and 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 protesting and and looting the protest is different than the rioting right but, thank you um the rioting and the looting and the stealing 
and you look at them and you're like, oh, those are bad people. Why are they doing that? Like, what is, what is wrong with them? They're destroying things. Well, the reason that that's their reaction is because that's all they've ever received in life too. Mm-hmm. So you're only, you can only reflect what you've received. So if you've received hate and violence and illegal, like if people have done illegal things to you, then you're going to be more susceptible to doing illegal things. And if people have been harmful and hateful and spiteful to you, then that's what your natural response is going to be. And so we can't necessarily identify the rioters and the people that are looting and say that they're bad people and that they need to be punished because clearly what we're doing as a society is not fostering the right emotion, like what you said, the right emotional intelligence, the right feelings, the right security, safety, all of those things. You're not going to go riot and loot people if you feel safe. Right. 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 Well, and it's like, um, I was actually talking to a a friend about this. Um, even like parents who, who, who resort to like either like shame for teaching or, or physical violence. Um, it's usually taught like it's taught and it's, and it's taught as the form of communication. Like shame-based parenting is like, well, this is how you learn. It's like, well, it's a way to learn, but it, turns out it's not the best way to learn um same thing with you know corporal punishment and things like that like they're passed down and then that's how they become cyclical there's um an interesting uh underline here that i'm curious to understand in that frame of psychology you weren't taught that but you ended up there so how like Aside from the realization of of seeing like what shit was in your world, certainly don't have to go to these depths if you don't want to. But what shit was in your world that taught you to express shit? He knew too much. He was like, that tree is only there because I see it. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it was. was, Yeah, yeah, the reflection that I had seen was just too overloading. And so I Mm. decided to latch on the material and latch on the shit that didn't matter. And, uh, you know, I knew a lot about health and eating healthy, but I decided to eat McDonald's and fast food every day when I got my license, you know, I just started eating shit. And so I think that when you start putting shit into your body, then you start feeling shittier as a person. Mm -hmm. And then your thoughts start to become more shitty. And Mm -hmm. then you start to see other people as more shitty. And so I think that that's really like sort of my vehicle for committing crime was that it wasn't necessarily I was treated badly. I treated myself badly. And so I Mm. was the person who taught myself Mm. those things. It wasn't necessarily my environment or the people I was hanging around with in high school. I was, I mean, I played basketball, so I was hanging out with the basketball players. We weren't like committing crimes or anything like that. We were smoking pot, but that was it. I mean, technically that's a crime, but um, it's also an herb. Um, so 
uh, I'm sure you can see my perceptions on that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was gonna, I was gonna use that example of the, you know, the evaluation of good and bad. And you talk about social constructs being the dictator of how we perceive the world. Um, legal legality versus morality is like an underlying example. You know, sure, pot has been illegal for a long time. But so is alcohol. It was illegal for a while, and then it becomes illegal. It doesn't make it right. Doesn't make it wrong. Um, it just becomes a social construct that ultimately defines the morality behind it versus the other way around. And that morality is uh, a lot of what you talk about. That that oh boy, that knowledge that understanding that that root of really like. Every, what you're taught, what you learn to understand about yourself and feel for yourself and how you treat yourself. And, you know, pot could be good for you, but not, might not be good for somebody else. Does it make it the person that it's good for bad just because it's illegal and creates this vicious loop of how we perceive other people? Well, yeah. And because of these social constructs, you know, now you have someone who's doing an illegal action, right? So they always, they claimed for years that pot was a gateway drug. The only yeah. reason why it's a gateway drug is because you got to fucking buy it for, excuse my life. You learn, you learn how to buy it. Illegally. Yeah. You learn, right? and, you learn and how the, to do illegal. Stuff. Exactly. Yeah. And so now yeah. you're in the environment and the person you're buying your pot from also has the Coke and Coke <laughs> and right. whatever. And so you're like, oh, yeah. all right. I mean, it's just make illegal. alcohol illegal. It'll be a gateway. It'll drug, be a, exactly. Yeah. If you it was go, a gateway drug to bootlegging yeah. and to right. race car driving. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And so it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, so it's set up and the, you know, we can get into the whole corporation and all the money that's being made because of it and all you that. Kinda, you almost have to with what yeah. Pete just said because uh, you can't <laughs> detangle. Because yeah. when you when you go with the like the morale, because I think the original intent with laws was like let's make morality like let's put structure behind the morality, yeah. right? Which is a like, good don't idea. Hurt other like, and don't kill other people. Like don't 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 kill don't don't, don't steal, steal from Ten them. Commandments, yeah, right? right? Like that's like, morality yeah. into law. Right. And then right. then when you insert any form of money, capitalism, yep. communism, all of a sudden all that socialism. morality becomes subject to who's receiving but or who's paid. doing. So and it's like, well, that's free labor. So we're gonna legalize that free labor. And I mean, you know, there now it's moral, right? Like yep. it's a morally justified act because of the legal system that it was put in. And then it gets really, really messy real fast. And I will, I will preface all of everything that we're talking about is that I think that for, for the most part, again, that America does a decent job of balancing all of this shit. I mean, a decent job. There's a lot still mm -hmm. wrong. Our education yeah. system is just, it's terrible. It's a hundred years old at the very least. At the least Why yeah. is our education system as old as like, we don't even, what do we have left over from a hundred years ago? I've actually heard a suggestion that, um, technology is 80 to a hundred years behind because of public utilities. So 100%. because, because we're stuck in coal, we're stuck in electricity. We're stuck in the, mm. I mean, they work. 
and they mainly work for the people that own them, but right. they work, right? I got <laughs> my lights on. Maybe I got my like my car drives. Yeah, right? my car goes. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like how many like we had electric cars 50 years ago. Yeah. Like, like, <laughs> we had you know what I'm saying? Nikolai Tesla burnt yeah. more technology than we have right now. Like we we had so much stuff, but the industrial complex was like, ah, you know, that's gonna be hard for me to monetize. So let's just let's squash that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's, so it's, a, those are the main things I can think of that are hundred years old. Yeah, I mean our medical establishment is a hundred years old. Mm. Right. Yeah, about that. Yeah. yeah. It's about right when it started. That's right when it started, when all the colleges yeah. were funded by, you know, all the rich people back in the early 1900s that the people that owned oil then realized that you could use oil to make drugs. And they were like, oh, how do we make this a thing? Well, let's just buy all the colleges and make them study pharmacology and and learn about drugs and about disease and about each specific disease so everyone is specialized and only knows these little things about these little stuff so that's um, what they treat and, and, and they're that, like yeah. the hammer looking for nails yep. in diagnoses yep and that all that all that is 100 years old and all of that is going bye-bye i mean we're 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 healing people now with meditation people that mm -hmm. are can't have stage four cancer will go to dr joe dispenza and do a weekend workshop and have no cancer after a weekend workshop. You know, there's a, That's to a wild. point, there is a, um, one of the most fascinating psychological understandings is people with disassociative identity disorder, mm. um, or otherwise colloquially called multiple personality. Um, and it has been documented with those with the severest of cases can have one um, identity that has, that biologically has diabetes. Biologically. Right. Every, every other one of them doesn't. doesn't. And bio, like literally their insulin levels are normal and when they're in a different identity. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Like the power of what the mind, we're capable the mind. of. And like you talk about the evolution of medicine, like it, th there's just so much information out there. We don't have to treat everything with surgery, but some things need surgery. We don't have to, you know, I did. I, did you I, know that my, the Romans I, I, did cataract surgeries? Wow. No, really? And they did brain surgery. Yeah. Because, you know, like every, when leaders came in, you know, traded between the popes and the, the the freaking caesars uh was going back and forth so like somebody would come in and just burn the library of the last regime and so like there's been more information lost in just rome yeah. than the world has ever known so like they, they oh my god they were doing all kinds of advanced stuff back then so we haven't it's weird like we haven't caught up so we look we're in a pandemic right now right of basically a bad flu like and I'm, that's a that's a very dumbed down explanation of covid like yeah, but really it's like <laughs> But what my point there is that it is nowhere near the nastiest thing that exists from a mm -hmm. viral standpoint, mm -hmm. and we can't handle it. We are super technologically advanced, yet we haven't caught up with the most technologically advanced thing on the planet, which is our body. Yeah. And we are <laughs> a virus. No, that's the most basic. The virus is super simple. And that's fair. Yeah. It's just super advanced at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, quite remarkable. We've been the thing with the thing with virus and virology and epidemiology. I mean, again, they're all, um, 
I, my sister is a biochemical molecular engineer. So like, that's what she does. She freaking investigates viruses and bacteria and like tries to quantify them on a sort of mathematical in a mathematical way, which is crazy. Um, but it's all specified. It's all specific. You don't know how the body's reacting to it. You just know what it's supposed to do. You don't know anything about what's going on with the body to make it worse for this person as opposed to this person. Mm -hmm. And we knew this a hundred years ago, we knew we were going down the wrong path and we still went down the wrong path. A hundred years ago with the flu pandemic of 1918. Yeah. Which really didn't start in Spain, by the way. Start in Spain, yeah, you know? It didn't start in Spain, <laughs> but they literally, they tried, they tried to prove. So basically the theorems back then were that you had to, the way that you had to prove that a virus or a bacteria is the cause for the illness is that you have to be able to isolate it and transmit it to someone else. And then that person has to get sick. Right. That's, and that, I mean, that no, that's like first germ theory. Yeah. That's like, this was developed in the late 1800s mm -hmm. where you had, that's how you had to prove that it's a virus that is causing the infection is that you have to isolate it and right. then give it to someone. And then that person has to get sick or at least a portion of the people that you give it to. all else being the same, uh, all right. else, you know, a portion of them have to get sick. And so mm -hmm. with the 1918 flu, they tried to literally get people sick. They isolated it. They injected it into people. Now they did a few different studies and the literature is really not well published, uh, but my sister helped me find this and out of a hundred people, uh, in one study and in another study, they had 50 people and had a little bit better success as far as proving viruses. But I have 100 people. They injected it to all 100 people. None of them got sick. Zero. Hmm. Zero people got sick from the isolated virus. So you're like, okay, well, this is a weird virus. Maybe it transmits a different way. So then they decided, okay, let's take the mucus out of a sick person. So they took this lung garbage, you know, all this mucus, which has all this virus and a bunch of different bacteria, all sorts of stuff in it. And then they injected it into 100 people. Zero got sick. What? And then they went one step further. They took 20 people and they put them in a room with 20 sick people. And they told the sick people to cough, sneeze, uh, talk openly and try to infect these people. Now, you couldn't do these studies now because human rights and stuff, right? This was... You, you're not allowed to do the early days of science. Early there's a lot science. of questionable you stuff. You sign a waiver, sure. you get a thousand bucks. A waiver might not have been needed then. <laughs> and, <laughs> and none of these people got sick. Now you had another one that was able to generate some illness, but it wasn't a high amount. So you have this virus going around that kills 50 million people, but yet you try to get people sick with it and it doesn't happen. So obviously we're missing something here because if it was just about spreading a virus to another person, then every single person you infected would get sick, right? And that's what we think when we, you know, like all these zombie apocalypse movies and all these like it contag like contagion is they're wearing hazmat suits and all of this stuff. But if you look at how we've dealt with COVID, well, nobody's wearing hazmat suits. Nobody's isolated and put in a plexiglass thing because they have some, oh, this is Ebola and it's going to kill everyone kind of thing. You have people that are testing negative for COVID, you know, in the early stages and they're being put on the same floor as COVID patients. So it's really strange. 
what we're what we're doing through all this. It's really it just is really strange, and we're just and how little we, to your point, how little we've learned. How yeah, hundred years yeah. we still can't uh, we still understand how viruses work. We still don't. We still just like just like that. So some people get things. it, some people don't. The 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 range of symptoms the, all the way to you know kidney failure, like major issues, lung issues to just it's a bad cold. Like mm-hmm. it it completely varies. People yeah. getting sick again and again. They can't they can't kick it. Right. It's, yeah. It, Multiple positive tests. Like that's not supposed to be possible, really. It, it kind of. I mean, and I and I want to kind of go back, take this uh, all the way back to the first question, but it just speaks to the zero sum mentality, natural right. inclination to say there has to be cause and effect. Mm-hmm. And if there's cause and effect, we can only process so much information in any given day. And we've and now we need to move faster, move faster, get answers, get answers, get answers, get answers. And it just takes time. I and think maybe real we're, quick, we're, the supposition under that is probably the one. It's not that there's cause and effect, because that's a reasonable conclusion. There is, that we can right. understand everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. That every right, every, which yeah. we always try try to. Which brings me to the point of the first question: is for you, how does all of this play as you help people? break down those old ways of thinking so it plays in that the first thing i do whenever i work with anyone x y and z reason um you know i specialize in sleep but someone has something else that they're struggling with and they see me as an expert that can help them i will help them uh best i can or outsource it if i need to and i always go down to those first few questions who are you why are you here? What are your values? What are you what are you trying to achieve? What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What does it look like when you're done? You know, if you were to die tomorrow, what are what are the people that are most important in your life saying about you? Have you ever thought of that? Have you ever thought how much people care for you, how much you mean to them, how mm-hmm. how much of an impact you make to them? You know, those are those are serious deep questions. And the reason why is because so sleep to me is at the forefront of every issue. We have chronic illness. You want to talk about something that we're not knowledgeable <laughs> on or just getting just, you know, just started to really learn about. Yeah. 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 It's I mean, it's at the forefront of every illness. You look at cancer, diabetes, heart disease, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, dementia, Parkinson's, all of them. They start with you not being able to sleep. Any chronic disease, any chronic illness starts with shitty sleep. If you're sleeping seven to eight hours and you wake up and you don't need a cup of coffee right when you wake up and you have decent energy throughout the day, then you know that you're, it's a very small percentage of people that exist in that way. Very small. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is obviously our children no i'm just kidding uh, children 100 <laughs> um, yeah, that's my yeah 100 yeah. man oh, yeah. i get that yeah. take naps when they take naps that's all i gotta say yeah, yeah. I wish. when you yeah. when they get when they get down you you snooze T- take the kobe yeah. bryant approach and sleep for two or three hours at a time yeah. um and so what i found is the problem is that the first the rooted problem is that people don't 
people don't do these things, right? They don't know why they're here. They don't have goals. They don't know what it looks like at the end. They don't know their strengths or their weaknesses. So they don't know how to slide into the curve or avoid the curve, you know, whatever the analogy is that you want. And because if you're not self-identifying these faults, these weaknesses, you know, how come this person can push your button? Why don't you ask yourself that question? Why are you so angry about X, Y, and Z? Like, what does that say about what's going on inside of you? Like, and then because of our distracted way of living, our go, 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 watch TV, Netflix and chill, movies, sports, all of this stuff. Self-medication. Um, Self-medication. Yeah. And, and even people that are doing healthy practices, like people that are meditating and reading and, 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 uh, and working out, you know, I see a lot of people working out without intention working out without a goal in mind. They're just in there kind of doing their thing, checking their phone a lot. And so that's just another form of distraction. Um, it's better. We all, than we, everybody on. has one. If you think you don't have one, you do. Everyone has. You just got to identify it. Yep. And um, so you, you do that all day and you don't have that reflective time. And then you go in to fall asleep. And now all of a sudden you have time to think and you have time to just be with your own thoughts. And so it takes you an hour to fall asleep. It takes you 45 minutes to fall asleep. You have anxious thoughts or you're thinking about tomorrow. You're thinking about this meeting, you know, this, this whatever presentation, this deadline, this sale call, this friend, this family member, your life, your path, you know, how you, all the mistakes you've ever made. Uh, anxiety about that, right? All it's like, it could be anything, but none of that is helpful to fall asleep. None of, none of that, none of that is helpful. No matter if it's insightful or creative, some people get creative at night and, and then they, they have ideas about their business or their actual creatives. Maybe they paint or maybe they do this. And now it starts to jeopardize their livelihood. It starts to jeopardize their performance in life. And so that's the first thing that I, that I focus on with people is, is giving, building in structures so that you can do all that stuff on purpose. It doesn't have to have a goal. It's just get it out of your head. You know, get those anxious thoughts, any regrets that you have, write them down, write down all your regrets, do it daily, do it once, do it once and watch how, how it changes. And find time in the day to do it so at night you're not exactly doing it before bed. How did you well, get I mean, into that, sleep? I've, I've, oh, I would ahead. say that that's even helped me though. Like in the past, I haven't do. I don't have to do it anymore. But like, um, actually, no. Sometimes I do. I tend to write down what I'm going to do tomorrow. Like sometime during the day. Like, oh, I didn't get these things done. So instead instead of worrying yep. about it, I'll write them down. But sometimes I don't get to it until right before bed. But making sure I do it even then gets it off my head. Yep. So I'm yeah. Out. Yeah. And I mean, the average person takes uh, 45 minutes to fall asleep. Really? Yeah. Really? My that sleep is, latency is not that high. That is high. Yeah. It's high. I actually, it's yeah, time. that's really high. Take, I, I've reached a point where I, according to my Fitbit anyway, close my eyes and I might be in a deep sleep within five minutes. Yeah. That's what, that's, yeah. you know, that's the goal is five minutes. Like, and, that's because you intentionally move your body, you drink enough water, you do all these other things. And so that helps you get into that space. But then you also don't have all this mental activity. You don't have, 
all this energy in your brain going blah, 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 blah. and there's this weird um i'm curious to to understand how you got into it um but like i've gone on this weird journey with sleep when i was in college i inherently thought or i inherently knew maybe it was from studying i don't know where i got the information or if it was an intuition that i could not pull an all-nighter mm. Just never could, never, never wanted in that to. same camp. I, ne I never did a steady all nighter. Couldn't studied for about an hour and a half. I would take a nap because I knew that if I slept on it, I would remember it more than if I studied all night, got a half hour of sleep, and then tried to go get the test. You know what and I knew? You know what I knew? I knew that if I didn't know it the night before the test, staying up all night wasn't going to teach it. Wasn't going to gonna help you. So I might yeah. as well sleep. Like that yeah. was, I mean, maybe, <laughs> maybe it was lazy, but I was just like, yeah, I'm not going to learn it. Like I had a semester, I had a whole quarter to learn this and I didn't, I'm going to get it tonight. Come on. <laughs> but, but the interesting thing, like we, we hear a lot from, I mean, I even listen to people who I, I love to listen to sleep less, like sleep less. We, you know, my father-in-law grew up at a time where it's like, Hey, you, you get five hours of sleep. You're good. Right. And there was just very little understanding of its impact. And so you create, again, social constructs that impact us over time, these cycles, these loops, these, I, I ended up, you know, once I graduated college, I would, and I was living on my own, I'd wake up at, I was thinking about this the other day. My routine would be, I'd go to work, it took me about 45 minutes to get to work. I'd come home about 5.30, six o'clock, eat dinner, watch TV for three hours. Maybe I'd go to the gym somewhere in between there. And then I wouldn't want to go to bed. So 11, 12 o'clock rolls around. Then I go to bed. I got to wake up at 545. And the only reason I'm waking up at 545 is so I can be ready in time so I can take a nap before I go to work. And then I, I would take a nap. I forgot about that. You did used go, to wake up and take a nap. nap. It, it was just because you would wake man. up and watch SportsCenter. And then like take a nap <laughs> before I'm like, yeah, awful. <laughs> and then you all of a sudden, it's like, oh, I'm working. Now you're working 40 hours a week. And so all of a sudden you get caffeine and it's like, got to get, got to get that jolt. And now you're addicted. Like I'm addicted to caffeine. I try to modify how much I need and I don't have any until about two hours after I wake up in the morning. Um, but like, all of a sudden you're addicted to it and then it just becomes a cycle now you drink more coffee now you can't go to sleep on time because your body is just getting rid of Jacked the up. impact ah. of caffeine because you had it at five o'clock at night because you wanted that cup of coffee and it's just this cycle that we don't break down how did you get into sleep i got so i got into sleep because i had another shoe drop so the first shoe drop was the legal side and crime and stealing and all that and then i rectified it meditated woke up early started to eat better started to get into fitness and then i dove into fitness and uh started to be a personal trainer and i was still doing sales and i was bartending and i was a personal training and working out two to three hours a day and i was just um in that go 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 mentality so when i was lying and 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 stealing and not being myself i was very lazy 
And so that's what caused me to do that. So I had the opposite. So I went, I was on one side of the, of the pendulum and I went boom. And that, that was useful and helpful, but then I got really sick. So I, I, I pushed myself too far and I developed uh, Epstein-Barr virus. It attacked my adrenals. So I had severe adrenal fatigue and it attacked my lymphatic system. Uh, I thought I had cancer. Uh, doctors really didn't, they wanted to biopsy my lymphs. And I was like, why? Like I reduce inflammation myself. Why are you white? And they saw this virus that I had and they were like, well, that's, that doesn't, that doesn't cause adrenal fatigue and lymphatic inflammation. So it has to be something else that's going on with you. And we don't know what it is. So we have to remove part of you in order to find out. And I was like, that's just backwards science to me. That doesn't make any sense. Like, like let's, let's have a few guesses before we just start poking and prodding and ripping things out. Let's, let's like, try let's, something before like we you, uh, cut you, my you arm have a, off. You have you know? a prognosis. I have a virus that I didn't know I had. And yeah. is some of my symptoms line up with it, like sore throat mm -hmm. and things like that. So why don't we try and like deal with that? And if through dealing yeah. with that, these things start to clear up, isn't that, you know, helpful? Um, so then I went to a naturopath and I started to research on my own. And uh, he gave me um, advice about not being as acidic, uh, in increasing my alkalinity, uh, decreasing my stress, not taking on as much as I was doing, not spending three, two to three hours at the gym, um, doing more, uh, doing yoga and, and doing these other things. And and then it was just an evolution. I went to school for holistic nutrition, yoga, life coaching, stress management, and got certified in all those things, started helping people with that. And then it just kind of evolved as I started to research and learn more about sleep and rectify my own sleep problems with the adrenal fatigue and the addiction to caffeine and stimulants. And um, as I started to heal myself, I started to realize that this is a huge pervasive problem that we have in the world. And it was a few little like aha moments. These were actual aha moments where I was speaking to entrepreneurs and different people in the building their business uh, uh, coaching field and hearing what they were going through and realizing that I could help. And it's, it's, you know, it's like the more I dive into, the more I talk with people, the more I connect with people, the more I coach people, the more simple my answers become in that. Mm. Um, so what do I do as a sleep coach? I teach people how to balance. I teach people how to be centered. I teach people how to be in their bodies because our society it's, it's almost, it's crazy too. It's almost the opposite of yoga uh, or the opposite of Tai Chi or the opposite of a shaman, shamanic practice or an ayahuasca trip or any of these things, right? Where those things are there. They were designed thousands of years ago when everyone was physical in life. Everyone was physical. Everyone had a physical job where they're a farmer, a blacksmith, or whatever, right? They're doing stuff with their bodies, moving their bodies. And so these systems were built to teach people how to be still, to teach people how to be still, yeah. to bring their energy up and to achieve spiritual enlightenment and to liberate the the soul and to reach heaven and all these different ideas and 
ayahuasca, you know, you start to perceive other things that you're not normally able to perceive, but that's about leaving the body. It's about getting outside of the body. And now in society, because at five years old, you're put behind a desk and you're told to sit still. And if you don't sit still, they put you on drugs. And so being still, like they tried to put me on drugs. My dad said, no, <laughs> uh, he's just smart. Maybe he's just, good. well, he's just a kid. Yeah. That like too. Yeah. kids move. Everybody's got a different time. Like they just, they, that's it. Like you give them 20 minutes of recess. Yeah. Like they, like let them walk around the yeah. class. That doesn't mean they're not Why listening. Why do they have to, to have the same desk you every day? If you want to walk around the class, like walk around, just listen to me. Like hear what I'm saying. Yeah. Just walk around. It's crazy. And so we learn how to be still. And then we go into the workforce and most jobs are stagnant. Most are sedentary. Mm -hmm. And that's why going to the gym can be such a life changer for people. Because what it does is it gets them out of here and puts them in their mm -hmm. bodies, right? It gets them mm -hmm. in touch with their bodies. We're not in mm -hmm. touch with our bodies. That is why it takes us 45 minutes to oh, an hour to sleep. So true. That's Back to what you said about have, balance. Yeah, it's all, it's all mm -hmm. about balance. And so that's what I teach. And depending on the person, and that's how I got into sleep, depending on the person, it'll be on a scale of one to a hundred on how woo woo you want to get into it. Um, you know, <laughs> no woo, bro. But, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and even, even when it comes to some of these like biohacking trends, the Wim Hof breathing and the meditation and things like that, that are really becoming popularized, especially with entrepreneurs, there still isn't the education to get back in the body. And that's where the light bulb moment was like for me was that mm. I was speaking with entrepreneurs. They were meditating 30 minutes a day, but yet when they were trying to go to bed, they were still mentally very active, creative, or anxious. And they were physical. They were moving their bodies. They were working out. And so all it took was this little mm. change. The, the, the big practice for people that are meditating, people that are already, you know, they're already doing 10 or 15 self-care things, right? Meditating, breath work, biohacking, nutrition, moving the body, running, all of these things, right? The big change that will make a huge difference to just like knock it all out the park is go ground, go touch the earth. Walking on the beach or like walk, just walking in the earth, like in the city, it's hard because it's not quite as good, but still barefoot, like it's, yeah. it's, um, well, it's listen, a good process. I, I, for, um, to be the curmudgeon of time, this has been awesome. And I think we could talk all day, uh, as is always the case. Yeah. Um, I look forward to the time when we have cachet to do a Joe Rogan three yeah, hour conversation because then we'll need six and it's just going to be a thing. It's always, always. going to be a thing. Um, but we always, so first, thank you for joining thank us. You. Thank you. And thank you. this has been awesome. Thanks for what you do. Cause I think it is, it, it, there's so much in it. And I think we, we talked about it in depth um, that Rodney and I talk about a lot and it was great to get another perspective yeah. and, and just enjoyed this conversation a lot. We have one final question and I'm going to leave it to my co-host to ask it. What do you want to leave the audience with? Ooh. Um, yeah, it's, uh, if you are, so who, who are you mm. audience member? Mm. Who, who are you? Not, what do you do? Not 
uh, not your job, not your profession, not any of those answers. Although those can help make the answers, but but who are you? Like, are you a compassionate person? Do you care about others? Do you want to help others? Um, that's the question. If you already have an answer to that question, um, then I invite you to connect more with yourself. Even it, so. Just daily, give yourself five to ten minutes just to connect with yourself, sending yourself in some way, shape, or form. Um, you're gonna, it's gonna pay off huge. The reason I found that a lot of people don't have, and maybe you guys can speak to this as well, don't have all the things that they know they should or want, um, is because they have great ideas, they have great ambition, they have uh, a great focus, and they know what it looks like at the end, but. They're not. They're still not grounded, and they're so they're not able to physically bring it into existence. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the most successful people in the world, not all, but a lot of them, very centered, very grounded, mm -hmm. and and it's just natural for them. And that's why a millionaire can make fifty million in a heartbeat, and then and lose it, and, and then, then lose it, it and get it back. Right? Like David Meltzer is an amazing human. This dude was a hundred millionaire. Lost it all, bankrupt, had to declare bankruptcy, got it all back. Got it all back because he, he became grounded. He got it, he wasn't grounded when he had it, lost it, came back grounded. Now he has it, it's not going anywhere.